Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters <laughs> Sightings and Encounters Podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. Ten volumes available at Amazon in paperback, ebook, and Kindle format. And for you audio buffs, volumes one through nine, available for your listening pleasure at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes as well. Pardon me. For the snafu. (laughs) And now, may I uh, introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. Well, you know, no one can accuse us of taking a shortcut and pre-recording the introduction every week. (laughs) Every week is a new authentic adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kevin and I are doing this in the morning. Uh, we we have random uh, times when we get together to do our podcasts, uh, and of course I work last night, Kev, and I get up here and I guess I'm on delay. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. And folks that are relatively new to the podcast, you know, it's it's important to understand that Bill and I are 600 miles apart when we record the podcast. So uh, we're each recording a track simultaneously, locally on our computers, and then uh, talking to one another over Skype uh, to try and make the whole thing work. So it's not without its challenges anyway, even if we both uh, perform properly, which is a very rare occasion, by the way. (laughs) Now, wait a second. Do we have to perform properly? I don't think so. It doesn't seem to be a requirement. (laughs) It's not in my DNA. We just have to try. That's all. Hey, by the way, Kev, uh, before you get into cryptids in the news and other oddities, uh, for our listeners and yourself, are you aware they've made an arrest for the Gilgo Beach uh, serial killer? I did see that. So uh, this serial killer who roamed along the south shore of Long Island, right, killing uh, prostitutes and escorts and... Yeah, they they uh, a while back, folks, and I'm talking what maybe a decade, right, Kev? Uh, maybe two decades. Yeah, it could I, be longer. Maybe than three that. decades. I think it was like the early '90s originally. Well, they found those about ten bodies, right, uh, thrown into the uh, dunes and marsh area off. Uh, what do they call? It? I always call everything Dune Road down there, but I think they call it Ocean Parkway. Ocean Parkway is the road down there. And uh, they were looking for one woman who had called 911, uh, frantically called 911. Uh, she seemed to disappear. She was an escort. And in looking for her, they wound up finding, I believe it was 10 other bodies. Right. And this was a cold case pretty much for a long time. I mean, they had what they had. They just couldn't get anybody. And then I remember about a year and a half, two years ago, they came on the local news and presented a couple of small pieces of evidence they had uh, asking for the public's help if they recognized any of these uh, these two items, I think it was. Okay. And uh, next thing you know, uh, day before yesterday or yesterday, yesterday morning. Yesterday, yeah. They announced that they were making an arrest in Nassau County, uh, I think in Massapequa Park, 
And uh, this guy was an architect, and uh, he was an architect, all right, an architect of evil. Yeah, big architect in Manhattan. So yeah. uh, really uh, evil person, you know. Yeah, yep. So I just figured I'd throw no, that out there. A, we'll it's see. A, I was going to mention it. Uh, it's funny because you and I hadn't talked since they announced that yesterday, and it's mm-hmm. down the road from you a piece. Yep. And I was like, oh, wow, man, you know, this stuff. I mean, the good news is they're going to catch you these days. For the most part, if you're still walking the earth, you know, they're they're going to catch up with you. These yeah. Uh, yeah. law enforcement folks are diligent, and then the technology keeps improving. So as long as they hold on to some of the evidence, you know, they'll go back 30 years later and find trace evidence on uh, trace DNA or whatever they call it these days. Yeah. And uh, catch people, which yeah. is awesome. You know, I always think in a biblical narrative when these things happen, and that says that your sin will find you out. Yeah. You know, it's it's just that way, man. You yeah. know, you, you think you're going to beat the hangman, and the hangman's noose is waiting for your neck. Exactly. You're not so getting this, away with it. This guy, this creep... Uh, if if he did do it, and I I I'll tell you, they couldn't have got, they couldn't go to a judge and say we want to make an arrest and a search warrant uh, without uh, the goods to prove they not needed not to in do this stuff. kind of a case. I mean, they no. certainly they certainly can do that without the right. person being guilty. But this kind of a case, I'm with you, Bill. I I think uh, I think they got their man. Yeah, it's got to be DNA or something today. Exactly, locked into it. Yeah, so anyway, so what do we have in our cryptids in the news and other uh, oddities segment? Yeah, man, so this one came in from one of our listeners, which I love the, love to hear the suggestions from the listeners. So if you have ideas for cryptids in the news and other oddities, you know, uh, drop them to us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Contact us. And this one, Bill, is the Kecksburg UFO incident. Yeah. Interesting, man, and I'm glad you uh, dipped into this. We were just talking about this, what, a week or two ago? Yeah, the the, the email came in a week or two ago, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what did you find out about it? Well, first off, on the lighter side, I took a look at it, and, um, you know, this, this incident happened, we'll get into the thick of it, in, in 1965. Uh, but before I get into it, I got to tell you one funny thing. Um, they have this object, a replica of this object that they made for a television show that investigated uh, this uh, Kecksburg UFO incident. And they talk about in the sightings that they, the object looked like a giant egg corn. So this is the funny part before we get fully into it. I live <laughs> in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is known as the City of Oaks. And when you go in downtown Raleigh, we have a giant bronze acorn. <laughs> and in fact, on New Year's Eve, we hoist this giant acorn up on a big crane. And when they drop the ball in, New- in Times Square, we drop the acorn. <laughs> but our acorn looks shockingly similar to the UFO from Kecksburg. <laughs> So you I don't sure know if they didn't a take it from Kecksburg? <laughs> <laughs> but I that was that my <laughs> first reaction. I was like, holy crap, it's our acorn. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just took it from Kecksburg and said, this is going to be our town symbol. Could be, could be. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going downtown tonight. I'll try to take a picture next to the giant acorn and put it up oh, on our man. page. Show the what is it? Is it bronze or something? What is it? Ours is bronze. Theirs is, uh, I don't know what it's made out of. It looks like uh, Adobe or something. (laughs) All right. So let's get into it. So this, uh, most of what I'm going to talk about comes from a a really good article. There's a lot written about this, but there's a really good article uh, uh, from Penn State University on a website called pabook.libraries.pennstateuniversity.edu. And this is written by a guy named Matthew Dinkle. And I found it to be the most informative and the most balanced. So we're going to primarily talk about that article. Okay. So this, uh, this incident happened, as I said, in 1965, so 58 years ago, in Kecksburg in Westmoreland County in Pennsylvania, and Kecksburg is out near Pittsburgh. 
So in the westernmost part of Pennsylvania, right? Okay. And um, during the last 58 years, you know, this story has also taken numerous twists and turns. So most of these sightings that we talk about, um, they end up, you know, being the sighting, maybe some discussion for two or three years, but then that's it, right? And mm-hmm. in this case, there's been different things coming up, lawsuits, etc., statements by NASA, more investigations and stuff like that during the last 58 years. So I think that's pretty interesting. All surrounding this Kicksburg UFO this sighting? This particular incident, yeah. So, so let's get into it. And this was highly publicized uh, in newspapers around the country, certainly in and around uh, western Pennsylvania, but all around the country. Okay. So here's how it goes. On December 9th, 1965, so picture that, right? You're getting ready for Christmas, putting up the Christmas lights and stuff like that. A fireball streaks across the sky above northeastern, the northeastern U.S., So people see it as far apart as Indiana, New York, Virginia, Ontario, Canada. And this fireball is reported in newspapers across the country. So Hmm. not necessarily the UFO yet, but the fireball. Wow. And the falling object even touches off many small fires throughout Ohio and Pennsylvania as the flaming debris falls from it. Wow, so it was losing part of its makeup flying. And making it to the ground. So that tells you it was pretty close, right? Mm -hmm. So then in this little town of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, many witnesses claim that the object crashed into the woods nearby their town. And... uh, you know, there are folks, I have to say, that believe that this, is an op- this was an optical illusion, you know, because it's hard to tell when you see one of these flaming, you know, meteors, comets. If it was a meteor or comet, you know, it looks closer than it is, kind of mm-hmm. the old statement. Mm-hmm. So there are mm-hmm. a lot of folks that say, ah, oh, this was an optical illusion. But that said, at that time, the U.S. Army took the sightings very seriously. They came out to the site with state troopers. I'm sure the state troopers uh, showed up first. And the area was roped off. And citizens who came out to the woods to investigate the falling object were turned back by armed men. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, you're not protecting a uh, meteorite with armed men. No. So, the, the... Army, after coming out, roping off the area, doing an investigation, you're going to be shocked, Bill. They said that nothing was found. <laughs> of course nothing was found. Except for a bear that looked like Bigfoot. No, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But the witnesses around the town uh, highly dispute this claim. Mm-hmm. So one of them, Bill Buellbush, claims he saw the object turn around in the sky quote, just like it was controlled, unquote, before crashing into the woods. Intrigued, he drove out to investigate and found a 10-foot-long acorn-shaped object smoldering in the woods. Hmm. The way it glowed, cracked, and sparked scared Buellbush, who says he did not get too close to the object, and when he heard people coming, he ran out of there. Uh, so he was a witness. He was the first witness, but split when everybody else well, started showing the, up. The look and glowing nature. I don't blame him on that regard, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what the heck? Maybe it's radioactive, et cetera. So it could explode or something oh, and yeah, kill him. Oh, yeah, 100%. Who knows what it is? Yeah. So James Romansky saw it, too. And according to his account, he was part of a group of volunteer firefighters who came upon the object in the woods when they were responding to what they thought was a plane crash. Instead, he found a mysterious metal object buried in the ground and covered in hieroglyphics. Wow. Yeah, and and on the the replica, they do have these hieroglyphics on it, which, by the way, our acorn in Raleigh is not covered in hieroglyphics. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
So James Romansky claims that he was ordered to leave by mysterious men in trench coats and that he later saw the military carry the object away on a flatbed truck. And the flatbed truck carrying a mysterious object was later seen leaving the area by a number of other witnesses. Hmm. But they didn't find anything, Bill. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some, something comes to my mind, not to interrupt you, but in the RAF uh, Bentwaters uh, UFO flack that happened over in uh, Great Britain, uh, when they got up close on this little hovering UFO, a couple of these guys... Uh, they saw something that looked like hieroglyphics on the body of this little. Yeah, we uh, have heard crap. of that before. You know, yeah, which, yeah. which makes sense. You know, if there is, you know, uh, alien beings out there, visitors from another, you know, universe, solar system. Um, you know, I doubt their uh, their uh, language. If they have a written language of communication, it's not going to be English. You know, mm-hmm. not likely. <laughs> Maybe, uh, you know, it was actually stamped, you know, made in Japan or something. Could be, could be. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of witnesses. And, of course, you know, the author writes they are attacked and discredited by the more skeptical members of the town, right? Uh-huh. Why did Bush run away? Can Romansky be trusted in light of his criminal criminal record? Apparently he had a little bit of a criminal record. Uh-huh. Um, and what about this guy, Rumbacher? So I didn't mention him, but he was a security officer for the Air Force who claimed to have guarded the object, when, uh, which arrived on a flatbed truck and which he believed was not of this world. Well, now they're discrediting him because he's now a UFO investigator. Um, so it's like, well, you know, let's see. Why would you become a UFO investigator if you actually saw a UFO that was being hidden potentially by the U.S. Air Force. So, hmm. I don't know. Sounds crazy yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, it's all crazy. Yep. And uh, by no means, so has the evidence stopped developing. So this is what I was talking about, So, in, or, or an, an example. In an article in the Daily Courier published November 9th, 2010, okay, so 1965 to 2010, Stan Gordon, who has spent years researching the topic, claims that I just recently had numerous people speak to me about the incident. If anything, deciphering what happened has only gotten more confusing. And then back in 2003, a lawsuit was filed against NASA to release the documents from the military investigation. Then, when making a statement on the lawsuit in 2005, two years later, a NASA spokesperson told the Associated Press that, in fact, a Russian satellite was discovered on the site. However, this possibility had supposedly been ruled out conclusively in a study of the orbital analysis of all known man-made crafts orbiting at the time by one of NASA's own scientists. Mm-hmm. So back then at 65, NASA said, no, nope, couldn't be a Russian satellite. And then in 2005, yeah, you know, it was a Russian satellite. Yeah, well, listen, uh, according to the one witness, a f- aside from everything else, a satellite falling from the sky is not going to pull a U-turn before it crashes. No, not usually. <laughs> you know, it's nonsense. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so... so uh, you know, so so this, this author writes about, so what really happened? You know, it's likely that most of us will never know for sure. I agree with that. Uh, and, and, and those who claim to know, will never, there will be others that don't agree. However, mm-hmm. it's easy to see that uh, this has had a significant effect on this small town to this day. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they have a little bit of fun. Um, in the town now where they have, you know, UFO stores and uh, a UFO festival and things like that. But I'm by no means suggesting that they made this whole thing up to uh, profit from it as a town, right? Like, that's that's just ridiculous. So Yeah, well, some people took off with it a little bit, you know. Like some of these places where they have the Bigfoot shops and things where, 
you know, stories about Bigfoot are prevalent, you know. Yeah, yep. you can't stop them. You can't stop them. So, you know, yep. what are you going to do? And then in some other articles, you know, I'll close with this. There are some other articles that talk about the fact that um, folks went after the documents from NASA uh, about this. And, um, you know, they, they uh, filed a lawsuit allegedly around the Freedom of Information site. And NASA s- said that they lost uh, the documents. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, what do you, you think they were lost? Well, yeah, yeah, it's hard to believe, but they do cite, NASA came public and cited that we we often lose documents. <laughs> Apparently somewhere I read about that they lost uh, the tapes and the documents around the Apollo 11 moon landing, you know, so... <laughs> Hard to believe, you know, it's probably in a box under a pile somewhere in some warehouse that nobody goes in anymore, you know. I mean, maybe it's in a politician's garage. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a bipartisan statement, folks, before you write in. Interesting. Yeah, that's crazy, Kev. Kecksburg UFO. Yeah, I love it, though. And thanks to our listeners that wrote in to suggest this topic. It's yeah, you know, one. you know, many years ago, we had that uh, UFO purportedly come down in uh, South Haven Park. Oh, on Long Island. Yeah, and that place became a zoo of uh, police and flatbeds and fire department vehicles and, uh, you know... What are you doing bringing flatbeds in for a forest fire? Yeah, so that must have happened after I moved away. I don't remember that one. Yeah, but I mean, are you planning to uh, take away burning trees? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No UFO to be seen here, folks. Look over there. Look. (laughs) I think we're doing a press conference over there. Uh, (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, and that place was all roped off and... Men in Black, all of that nonsense, you know. So this is kind of run-of-the-mill rubbish that surrounds these uh, reported crash sightings, investigations, witnesses, you know, uh, discrediting, no UFO here, you know, misidentification, unreliable witness testimony. It's the same bag of tricks over and over. Yeah. But uh, listen, man, great, great uh, follow-up on that. And again, as Kev said, you know, if you've seen something, say something. Or if you have an idea, say something, especially for our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment. Go to BigfootTerraInTheWoods.com and contact us. Uh, this account that I'm going to uh, uh, talk to you about, I want you to know that, first of all, nobody's name that I use in these accounts is the actual individual. I just randomly, it might be the right first name, completely different list. It might not be their name at all. So, And I always try to do my best in my interviews uh, to pull out as much details as I can, you know, and I can only do... Uh, what the uh, witness affords me the ability to do. In other words, what they say to me, uh, how detail-oriented they are, and, of course, uh, myself believing that they're telling me the truth. So this is a really interesting account, and in an area uh, that is by no means new to uh, uh, UFO, to Bigfoot sightings, Uh, and even investigations. So let me get into this here. This following uh, hair-raising account came to me by way of Eugene Granger, a resident of the state of Louisiana. This is what Eugene and his family experienced in none other than the East Texas Big Thicket. As I told you when we first spoke, Bill, I was in no way, shape, or form a Bigfoot enthusiast leading up to the night, which I will tell you about. But believe it or not, I stumbled upon a podcast about Bigfoot and decided to give it a listen while I was driving. As fate would have it, 
During this podcast, they were talking about a wild affair they had with this creature in what is known as the East Texas Big Thicket, which happens to be 20 miles from my daughter's home, which is exactly where I was heading while I was listening to it. My two grandsons are much like all the other kids today, spending every waking hour doodling around with their phones and games. So on the way, I was planning to take them out for a bit of nighttime escapades in the woods. At about five, I got to their home. And after the usual hellos, I explained to my daughter that I had a little plan for the night involving hunting for Bigfoot. So this guy is driving to his daughter's house in Texas. He randomly runs across a Bigfoot podcast that he's listening to, realizing they're talking about this area relatively close to his daughter's house where he's going. And he just decides, I'm going to take these little rascals out and, and go to this place and hunt for a Bigfoot. So he says not only were the boys excited about it, but my daughter was also a gamer. So come 10 o'clock, we were heading towards the big thicket. I did have a 44 caliber sidearm, so I didn't want you to think that I was utterly foolhardy at the time as we neared the area at 11 p.m. I don't know if this guy is stupid or what. But coming right out of the gate. He's definitely a little (laughs) cray-cray. Going into the big thicket at 11 p.m. with his daughter and two youngsters. Yeah, good idea. So so on this podcast, these fellas were talking about rocks thrown at them, sticks and logs, and all kinds of hooting and hollering going on in these woods. And I thought it would be, at the very least a spooky and adventurous thing to do, getting the boys out of the house for the night. What a mistake. Bill, I've been a hunter since my youth in Louisiana, having shot all kinds of game from deer to crows. But what happened that night rocked my world. Some roads were leading around in this place. And as I drove in for a bit, I stopped my vehicle to listen. While going, there were deer alongside the roads, and I even spied out a couple of hogs in the headlights. But as we exited the vehicle, I was immediately aware of dead silence within the area of woods I now was, which had me a bit unnerved. Alongside the car trail, the woods indicated the area's naming. It was dense and thick, and not so much as the sound of a single cricket was coming out of it. As I told these kids and my daughter, I was going to drive around a bit more to survey the lay of the land. I had followed what I would call a horseshoe pattern during which not a single animal was seen. And to be honest with you, I had begun to wonder if what they had said went on in here was the truth after all. So he's driving to this place and getting close to it. He's seeing wildlife, deer, hogs. Then he gets into the, quote, thick of things in the thicket, and all of that stops. Returning to where we had started, I parked the vehicle and we got out to begin our walk. My daughter and the boys were excited, with I keeping my feelings to myself about the silence and the lack of visible wildlife as the action began rather quickly. We hadn't walked 200 feet, if that, when what sounded like not one but several large trees came crashing down in the woods. So loud was the sound that it was like a significant motor vehicle crash had occurred close to us. 
Our lights were immediately brought to bear in that direction, which was an exercise in futility. The brush being so thick that the lights virtually shone back at us off the leaves. Coincidence, perhaps, but that wasn't what I thought as I shouted, Hey! There was no response, and we kept walking. Speaking for myself, a spooky night of family fun was now getting a hold of me in the wrong way, but we kept moving. Maybe ten more minutes had passed when we heard the first scream. I had listened to every animal sound, both day and night, present in this area and Louisiana, and I had never heard anything like this. It was part horror film and part natural, if that makes any sense. Like a woman facing Mike Myers in her kitchen and a screaming mountain lion all wrapped up in one. Very unique and shocking to the ears. This was when I grabbed my gun for the first time as a matter of comfort and security. We were standing there. The boys asking me what makes a sound like that, to which I honestly replied that I didn't know, which I could tell did not sit well with anyone. I had no sooner answered the question as a second scream rang out to our right-hand side. Mind you, we had heard nothing moving through the woods at the time. My opinion, both then and now, was that it would be physically impossible for one creature, and I did believe it was a creature, to move that far and that quickly through these dense woods without making any noise and at such great speed. It was impossible, and we turned around. I had pulled my pistol out of the holster, and we were stepping up the pace, as we began our exit, suddenly something was flanking us in the woods that we couldn't see, but this time we could most definitely hear it. Whatever it was made no effort to keep quiet, and we stopped. I heard something whirring above my head, like the rotors on a helicopter getting going as something crashed into a tree behind us. When I turned to look with my light, a four-foot-long log was lying at the base of this tree, just behind where my daughter was standing, and I was immediately pissed off. I turned and shouted, If anyone is out there, I have a gun, and I'll use it if necessary. I don't want to kill anyone, so knock it off. There was dead silence, and we began to walk again. The flanking had started virtually as soon as we did, and I cracked two shots off into the night, after which everything came to a halt. Not a sound could be heard the rest of the way out. As we exited, my vehicle headlights were coming, uh, excuse me, as we exited in my vehicle, <coughs> headlights were coming down the road in front of us. It was a police vehicle, and they hit their lights. I stopped as the two officers got out and approached us. They asked if I had fired the shots, and if so, at what? I began the whole story of everything that had just transpired, to which they said, you know, you could have killed somebody. The only thing that saved my butt that night was the two boys and my daughter with me, who quietly confirmed my story. They didn't seem to be phased by all this Bigfoot bullshit, but they didn't let on about anything. They did say they patrol this area regularly because of people like me walking around at night, adding that it was perilous to do so, and that was that. I couldn't believe it. In hindsight, the luck or lack thereof, that we would experience what we had coming straight out of the chute, so to speak. It was as bad, if not worse, than I had heard on the podcast. 
having had zero experience beforehand with anything such as this. I can state emphatically that I will never return to those woods again, either in the daytime or the night for any reason. There is something big and powerful in there, and you may as well leave it alone. What do you think, Kev? Whoa. I mean, there's definitely a lot going on down in the big thicket. Um, This guy's definitely a little crazy. You know, like listening to a podcast once in the evening and then grabbing his kitties and his 44 mag and saying, let's go hunt a Bigfoot in the big thicket. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Nothing like a mad uncle. (laughs) (laughs) Gives gives the family somebody to talk about. That's right. Hey, boys, let's go out and light up some dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> Watch this. Bad. <laughs> awesome. Son, you ever shoot a 12-gauge before? <laughs> Here, grab this. Careful, it's loaded now. You ever drink bourbon while you shoot a 12-gauge? <laughs> Just squeeze the trigger and knock you on your buds. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean crazy, Bill. Like, but, but again, there's a lot of critters out there in the big thicket, you know, including all the Bigfoot sightings. Yeah, I find it really interesting. And Kev, you know, when I was talking to this fella, uh, you know, he sounded really credible and sincere in his story. Right. And I said to myself. Is this just like beginner's luck or, as he said, or lack thereof? Because having done it and what happened to them, he was just like, never again. I I feel fortunate that we got out of the woods and nobody was injured. But uh, listening to this podcast and just deciding to go for it the very same evening, like he was possessed, uh, was crazy, you know? Yeah, no. Very, very bizarre, man. Yep. Crazy stuff. The big thicket strikes again. No doubt about it. Watch out for that big thicket. Yeah, and the cops uh, told them that they regularly patrol in here looking for people like you. Yeah, well, (laughs) people walking around with guns shooting them off in the dark on, you know, a weekend night, I'm sure. Yeah, well, bullets fly, you know what I mean? So, uh... You a pop lot further, nobody. a lot further than most people realize. Yeah, you pop his couple of rounds. Who knows where they ended? Exactly. But uh, yeah, so that's it, man. Pretty crazy, yeah. Crazy story. Good mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So, what do we have in our list of mail, bro? Yeah, so we got a few emails this week. We're going to start out with one that's pretty darn interesting. So, this comes in from Keith. And um, Keith has like a theory of, he calls it the feral human theory. And I don't know if this is like a, a, a bona fide theory or if it's his theory or what. So, you know, let us know, folks. So Keith gets into it and he says, the difference between a chihuahua, so he's talking about the little dog, a chihuahua, and a St. Bernard is vast. In terms of scale, it's roughly a 10 to 1 ratio. The difference in DNA between these two animals is barely measurable. The genetic expression is easily measured, but they share very similar DNA. Mm -hmm. The concentration of dominant and recessive genes determine what kind of dog we see. All the original genetic coding is held within the DNA. That's why a dog is always a dog and can be linked to a wolf. Selective breeding concentrates the genes the breeder wants to be expressed. Consider for a moment the domesticated pig. It's cute, it's pink, and it looks like the famous movie pig, Babe. Now turn Babe loose in the wild and track her down years later. She will have likely dramatically changed. She will look more like Pumbaa from The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) genes will turn on and she will undergo a remarkable physical metamorphosis some of this may be partially understood but not all of it after a few generations all of her progeny will express the wild pig traits 
not the babe pig traits. Uh-huh. Is it possible that humans have the same adaptive mechanism? Is it possible that after many generations of genetic concentration and thousands of years, we now have a human variant that looks as different from us than a Chihuahua looks from the St. Bernard? Love the stories in your audiobooks. The East, A- the East Coast accent is cool. Don't listen to the bozos who say you're, you aren't a good narrator. <laughs> if you get a minute... Let me know if you think this theory has any weight. Thanks, man. Keith. Yeah. What do you think of that, Kevin? I, you know, it's like, it's kind of a twist on evolution, right? Like, I, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I think if there is a Bigfoot creature, it is a species that we don't know about. I don't think mm-hmm. it's because some men went out into the forest and changed into Bigfoots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think so either. You know, yeah. it's uh, you know, even if domesticated pigs escape, uh, to me, the only thing they're going to resort back to is uh, they're no longer being fed uh, by Farmer Brown, and they're going to start doing whatever they have to do, uh, perhaps fighting, defending themselves. Uh, doing whatever they need to do to get food and going wherever they need to go to get it. Yeah, maybe just digging around in the woods for some lovely truffles. Yeah, and listen, I <laughs> I, I was listening to a man interviewed one day that had written a book about basically animals gone bad. Yeah. And he was sharing stories of even domestic animals whose owners had died in the house and nobody knew about it. And when they stopped feeding them, they started eating the dead owner. Yeah. Uh. I mean, just think about that, though. Yeah. You know, you, they, they're going to do what they do, uh, and at that point, you know, you're my dinner. Yep. So uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. Well, but personally, I'm not buying into uh, feral humans uh, no, having, I'm, you know. I'm not there either. But, Keith, thanks for writing in with the theory. Um, mm-hmm. You asked, and we told you. And yeah. uh, thanks for buying the audiobooks too. Yeah, and anybody who, quote, may have been lost from humanity could have easily rejoined up with other humans. Right. It's not like humans are hiding and you can't find any. Yeah, unless you're on an island or something like that. Yeah, you'd have to uh, discernibly want to be lost, like a hermit. And even a hermit, uh, if he lives 100 years and had, uh, I don't know, the whole thing just... uh, is, is preposterous to me. I, I I just can't wrap my head around it. But, you know, uh, uh, relative to Keith commenting about the narration of the books, I always found it to be amusing that when somebody comments, I can't stand this guy's New York accent. Well, that's mostly but, me, Bill, to be fair. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, when you listen to narration on audiobooks, they've got these people from uh, uh, Europe, uh, the South, the North, the East, the West. They got people from all over narrating. Uh, and uh, every once in a while, somebody will comment about the New York accent. You know, come on, get over it. <laughs> and if you don't, if you don't get over it, I'm going to come down and visit you. you. Hear me? All right, let's go on to the next letter. <laughs> also from an area with interesting accents. Yeah. Loudon from Scotland. Scotland, there's another accent of Scotland. <laughs> he says, hello, gentlemen, and I use that term loosely. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the show, and I think that I've listened to 200 or more episodes. However, I don't think you have covered the Stonehenge uh, phenomena in the UK. What's your take on Stonehenge? What do you think, Bill? You got a take on Stonehenge? Yeah, I got a take on it. It's a bunch of big rocks standing out in a field. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think these things are evidently uh, ceremonial markers put up by people, uh, you know, for possible festivals or 
maybe marking the heavens or the uh, movement of the planets. Yeah, keeping track of time uh, and seasons, I mean, right? Yeah, they're not alive. We can't talk to them. But I think it's pretty obvious just looking at it that it was deliberately formed in an arrangement uh, precisely what for, we don't know. There's a lot of speculation, but I don't uh, th- think it's anything super mysterious. It's just like another ancient relic uh, left on our planet by people have, that have uh, gone before us. Yeah, probably one of the more mysterious parts of it is the, the size and scale of the rocks, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they didn't find them in a pile of rocks, right? They're arranged out in a field, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, And then also, you know, getting that precise alignment so that they, they, uh, you know, I think they align with the summer solstice and winter solstice. But Mm -hmm. actually, Loudon, I'm actually going over there in August to see Ah. Stonehenge. Ah. So I will let you know, and we will likely report on Stonehenge. Uh, before I go, and definitely after I go as well. You know, Kev, I don't know what it is about we as modern humans. Uh, Do we have to believe that everybody who's gone before us were absolute ignoramuses and that only we have the keys to wisdom, like these people knew nothing? I mean, you know... I'm sure they were trying to figure some things out that we now have figured out. But there was a you read like uh, Aristotle and Plato and I mean these guys were real thinkers and uh you know it, it just doesn't make sense to me that they couldn't have figured out uh ways to cut stone and to move big things and you know we act like, you know, they were just crawling around in a cave uh, with a stick to defend themselves and they couldn't do anything else. I, I, I don't buy into that, you know. I think they were developing skills based on God-given wisdom and it just took time. Yep. Passage of time, you know. No, I agree. We're a little biased uh, looking back in time that, you know, although the folks didn't have the technology that we have today. We have no reason, no viable reason, I would propose, that the people were any less intelligent. Yeah. No, not yet. Uh, you know, maybe less of the population, you know, because less yeah. schooling, stuff like that. But their their basic intellect uh, shouldn't be any less than ours. And I'll tell you something else. This is a really a, a side sideline. You know, I love uh, art. I really enjoy looking at fine paintings. And my opinion is this, that the old school painters uh, excelled above and beyond that which we see today. I mean, I look at some of these things, Caravaggio, Michelangelo, uh, Rembrandt, the, the level, meticulous detail uh, man, it just blows my mind. And, you know, I'm not sitting with them. I'm, the paintbrushes they had, the pigments they mixed. Uh, I'm sure they had it together, man. And this stuff stands alone, separate from all the rest. Uh, yeah, the masterpieces. Of course, there are more modern ones, but, the, the yeah. you know, it's... You got to appreciate those those classic masterpieces. You and know. the sculptures, the sculptures. From the Renaissance. Oh. The sculptures blow me away. You know, seeing some of those. When I was over in Italy uh, years ago and seeing, uh, you know. Uh, the Pieta. There's, there's a sculpture called uh, Daphne fleeing from uh, Apollo, I think it is, mm-hmm. out of marble. And, and uh, you know, the legend goes as... As Apollo's chasing Daphne, she's turning into a, a tree. And, like, you stand next to the statue. You can stand right next to it. You know, you could touch it, but they don't want you to. And you can see the leaves growing out of her fingertips. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just like, how did they even do it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just incredible. So, all right, man. Well, our last email is mm-hmm. actually a return 
to an email that we started a few weeks ago that I forgot about and someone reminded me about. Um, and that was, I was asking you, Bill, or the writer was asking you, and I was reading it, um, what's your favorite cryptid and why? And uh, I believe you talked about the hairy man. Mm-hmm. And we never got to me. So oh, I okay, said yep. I would return to it. So so I I will pick a favorite, but I will talk about a couple of them. So, um, you know, Mothman is definitely uh, one of my favorites, going back to the infamous sighting in West Virginia and the, the uh, collapse of the bridge. But, but even more today, where we have all of these Mothman sightings around Chicago, the city of Chicago in Illinois, yeah. and specifically around O'Hare Airport in Chicago, one of the busiest airports in the world. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, very strange. And then uh, the good old Van Meter monster in Iowa that showed up, you know, for a period of a few days, many, many witnesses and this kind of winged creature, a little bit like Mothman, but not related to Mothman going back, you know, I think it was like 100 years ago in Van Meter, Iowa. Mm -hmm. But finally... My favorite, and I've said it before when we've got this question, we've covered probably 200 different cryptids and other oddities in this podcast, and my favorite is still Spring-Heeled Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Yahoo! Yeah, Spring-Heeled Jack was the uh, pretty well-documented, springy humanoid that was bouncing around outside of London on the city streets. And, uh, you know, chasing women and things like that. And the reason why, as I've said before, and it was and it was somehow linked to uh, one of the uh, royals, a marquee uh, outside of uh, London. And I, you know, I I still look at it like uh, an ancient uh, or an or an older days uh, Batman or something like that, like some rich guy that would be dressing up like this creature not necessarily doing good uh maybe maybe it's a better comparison to the joker (laughs) Uh, why why no smile (laughs) but bouncing around with these uh invention of these springs and these metal claws and this mask and so for me it's spring-heeled jack Ah, there you go, man. But I'm open. Uh, I'm open to new ones. So keep those cryptids coming. But Springhill Jack for me, Bill. Well, I don't think we're going to see another thing like Springhill Jack. Uh, that was a one-off, man. Uh, I'll tell you what. But- I'm going out in Raleigh tonight to see some friends, and I hope I don't see anything like Springhill Jack in downtown Raleigh. <laughs> yeah. Watch out for flying acorns. Exactly. Well, yeah, we'll see that. It won't be flying. It's parked in a park. <laughs> if it takes if it takes off in front of you, pull the iPhone out and get some pictures. Yeah, it may be shaky, though, Bill. I'll warn you. <laughs> and blurry. Yeah. All right. Well, great podcast. Thanks, folks, for listening. Keep those five-star reviews coming. And uh, we will see you again soon. Yeah, and remember, folks, if you if you find yourself wandering around the big thicket or even in the woods of Kecksburg at night, you best remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>